right, church, let's worship this morning with this great old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Let's ask the Lord to tune our hearts to sing His grace. Amen? He'll do that for us if we ask Him. to go toward God. Amen? And, and that's what this great hymn writer reminds us of. Lord, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why would we do that with after what He's done for us? So with that in mind, let's just lean into the Lord and give Him praise and give Him worship and give Him honor. Sing with all of your hearts and, and just give him, give him the praise that He so richly deserves today, church. All right? to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a
we'll close by singing this verse. It is every believer's testimony. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Lord God, we bow before you. We thank you so much for for this testimony that each and every believer of the Lord Jesus Christ can have, that I was in darkness, but now I'm in the light. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody within the sound of my voice that that their, their soul just doesn't cry out saying, yes, Lord, yes, that is my testimony, that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, for the rest of us, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to celebrate with this one who has come to be baptized, and we just give you all praise and glory and honor. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is such a blessing to be able to greet you from baptismal waters. I think this is the first inside baptism. We had one in the river. I think this is the first inside baptism for the last six or seven months because of uh, the COVID-19. Isn't it awesome uh, to witness the gospel made visible because of the fact that Jesus Christ has changed Miss Lila Johnson's heart? This little girl's got a bubbly personality. And you put Jesus on top of that, she's just a live wire. Amen? And we thank the Lord for the change he makes in us. Uh, Lila, you've got some family here. Uh, If y'all would just stand and witness to her baptism. We're glad you are here. Other family members? Okay. Oh, look at them up there in the balcony. All right. You see that, Miss Lila? They're watching your commitment to Jesus through baptismal waters. Lila, upon your profession of faith, coming to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. If you guys would remember to... Uh-oh. I don't have one with me, but you you know the drill. The uh, connection card, the little white card in the pew in front of you, okay? If you'll take that and fill that out, we would love a record of your attendance, especially maybe if you're a first or second time uh, attender, and we would uh, like to know you're here, know a little bit about you. We'll give you some information about the church if you request that. On the back, uh, there's some places you can request information or request more information about a relationship with the Lord or Uh, What does it mean to join a church? All those type of things. Also, put uh, prayer requests down, and we'll be faithful to to pray for those, okay? So, uh, as we continue to worship, let's uh, just remember that, you know, we are always before the throne of God, amen? It's not just a Sunday morning thing. If you're you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, a child of God, you are always in the presence of His throne, amen? And so, let's just sing this with all of our heart, before the throne of God. Before the throne of God 
sing our next song that we've uh, come to love over the past few months. He will hold me fast. Let me just set it up with a quick story. You know, there's a little boy crossing a busy street with his with his dad. And uh, and so that little boy uh, you know crossed that street and and they were holding hands and and boy it, it was dangerous. It, cars were going back and forth and and they made it across the street and that little boy was so proud. And he looked up to his dad and he said, Daddy, didn't know I'd do a great job of hanging on to you. 
And the dad, just with a wink and with a smile, reassured him. Didn't say a word. But you know, the dad knew, son, you were holding on to me in this dangerous time. I was holding on to you. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. We have no ability in and of ourselves to hold on to God. But he holds on to us. Psalm 139 says that beautifully. There your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast.
Amen. Now is our season of prayer time, and uh, we always pray for everything going on in the world, the, the pandemic. We pray for our nation, and certainly at this time, as, as of the news we found out Friday, uh, we just want to put uh, our president and the first lady in the forefront of our prayers for their good recovery, amen, and for all who are suffering uh, from the symptoms of COVID-19. Uh, but please, uh, please pray for our, our leaders who are suffering. And, and as always, we want to pray for those who don't know the Lord. To that end, uh, many of you may want to bow and pray. Many of you may want to come up here and use this altar. But if you just want to meditate on those lost souls that need the Lord and how God is going to use you to uh, be a light in, in darkness, just meditate on the words as Debbie plays this song. end our prayer time by singing together. All people need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the
there is strength within our sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our morning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When we are not understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're sovereign God.
Well, good morning. I can't help but think about Guy Calloway sitting here. We had the annual golf tournament yesterday, and uh, Guy and I are on the same team, and we p- were put together with the Wagamans, John and them. They're just like professional golfers, you know. And if you spell golf backwards, that's what I do, flog, right? You understand that. <laughs> and so uh, I hit this ball, and it looked great, but it lands in the sand trap. I'm like, okay, here we go. And so I walk up to the ball, and now they say you can ground your club, so it really doesn't matter. You know, I get in that, and I tighten down on it. I'm like, I'm going to do this. They say hit an inch behind it, right? And I, ball sits there. (laughs) And I swing, and I swing, and I swing. I said, well, maybe two inches behind it. Ball still sits there, and I think, well, maybe I just hit the ball. Just strike the ball down on it. Still didn't move. And I hear down from that sand a couple of ants speaking to one another. And one says, if we don't get on that ball, that preacher's going to kill every one of us. (laughs) All right, all right. Well, I need for y'all to be on the ball this morning as we tackle the subject that we have. Remember the overall heading for one sentence in the Greek language begins in verse 4. 
carries down through, uh, excuse me, verse 3, and carries all the way down through verse 14. That's one sentence in the Greek language. And so the title of the sermon, again, we're going to carry worthy of blessing and honor. And today we're going to look at the very first benefit that Paul is exalting in and exalting God for. And that blessing is to praise God for election. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Can we not say today that we have an awesome, great God and a phenomenal salvation, right? It is a great salvation and so we should do ourselves a service and think about this salvation that we have. There's only one gospel that leads to salvation. There's not uh, other roads. There's not another road. Jesus said, I am the way, exclusively, the truth and the life. And no man will come to the Father except through me. It's wonderful to know that God has saved us with an everlasting salvation. It's also wonderful to think about the fact that he's given us an everlasting righteousness. He's established our salvation with an everlasting love. We're going to learn that in verses 5 and 6. It is an everlasting love because he loved us from the beginning. Do you ever contemplate and rejoice over the fact that such a blessing as this would have ever been given to you? Do you ever stop and think about this kind of blessing of such a great salvation being actually by God given to you? Again, one sentence. Chapter 1 3 through 14, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness. We have the gospel of our salvation articulated here with magnificent, heart-stirring, mind-enlightening terms. I believe that the proper understanding of the gospel will lead you to genuine praise to God for the Christ of the gospel. So verse 3, we have in verse 3, we praise God for every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places. And we learned that that's not as much the locale of heaven. As it is the fact that we have the already and the not yet. When Christ saved you. It didn't begin the day you trusted Christ. It actually according to this text began at the foundation of the world. And then it moves to the present benefits of the day you trusted Christ. You're already seated at the right hand of the Father. According to Ephesians chapter 2. Co-heirs with Christ. And then there's the future blessing of one of these days. You'll get the full inheritance when you see Jesus face to face. Keep this uh, in your mind so that we don't miss the forest for the trees or vice versa. In verse 3, we have every spiritual blessing. In verses 4 through 6, we have the praise to God for election and adoption. In verses 7 through 8, we have praise to God for redemption and forgiveness in Christ Jesus the Lord. In verses 9 and 10, we have praise to God for his plan in Christ. That will culminate one of these days, as you see in verse 10. And then in verses 11 through 14, we praise God for the sealing of the Holy Spirit and our inheritance. And what is the refrain of this incredible paragraph continually over and over again? Here's the refrain. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, so that we, may, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of of his glory. And verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is the resounding theme 
Every time praise to grace or praise to glory occurs, it's ending one of the sections on either the blessings of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as you track down through there, you need to understand this is an outburst of praise to God for His magnificent benefits to His people. The blessings of God given to us. So the span of those blessings goes from eternity past, get that in your mind, to the present and also to the future. So this overall heading for this section I didn't supply for you in your bulletin. But remember the number Roman numeral 1 is that God is to be blessed because he is the one who blesses. And today in your outline you're going to come to that very first blessing. We're going to unpack it together. And that blessing is God chose us in Christ. So verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Let's stop there. This is why God is to be praised. Please don't miss the emphasis of this text. The emphasis of the text is not controversy. The emphasis of the text is not choosing sides on what you're going to believe about election versus free will. That is nowhere in this text. Unfortunately, I don't have to deal with that much today because it's not in the passage. What is in the passage is that God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. And he did so in order that you would be holy and blameless before him. That's what's in the text. So today, uh, I would like for us to concentrate on two things regarding Election. We praise God for election. We're going to talk about the facts of election as taught in the Bible. And then we're going to talk about the nature of election. Okay? This is why God is to be praised. Here is the first reason why God is so worthy to be praised. Let's talk about the fact of election. Let's be honest and upfront. This is a controversial doctrine. Uh, We must also admit that though it is controversial, it is in fact taught throughout the entire Bible. We have to wrestle with that. We have to know that. So Paul begins to unfold the truths that will feed his people. How long had Paul preached to the Ephesian believers? Over three years. Don't you find it interesting that straight out of the gate when he says, let's praise and extol God, the very first thing top tier is that you ought to praise God for the number one thing that you're not in control of. This is outside of your control. And humans don't like that. But I'm telling you folks, this is the, Paul was the greatest Christian perhaps that ever lived. Probably the greatest theologian that ever lived. And the very first thing out of his mouth when it comes to blessing God for his blessings, what does he say? Praise God that before the foundation of the world, he knew me and chose me. That, that is, that's the strength of the text going on. Do you think that election was important to Paul? Do you think it was important for him to say that God chose him again? When you read 1 Corinthians 15, that's what Paul's going to say. I was the least of the apostles. And God chose me as one born out of due time. And then he says in verse 8 of chapter 15, I am what I am because of the grace of God. And had it not been for his grace toward me. So Paul was a man that was a grace man and a Jesus man, but he also believed That his God chose him before the foundation of the world. So Paul was sold on the doctrine. If you want to know all the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ. Then you've got to go back to the foundation of the world and start there in order for you to appreciate it. 
If you're going to know all the blessings and all the praise that goes to God. And I want you to be convinced this morning that God is free in his sovereignty and when he saves sinners. God is totally 100% sovereign. I want you to believe the biblical teaching. Now that's obvious. We say we believe the Bible, right? And when you see it in the word of God, we, we want to believe it. But you've got to take this a step further if you're going to get the strength of the text. Not only do you, uh, are you able to explain it and believe it, but you're called by God in this text to rejoice over it. You're called by God to give God blessing for the fact that he chose you and him before the foundation of the world. So that's, that's a challenge to us, isn't it? When's the last time you prayed and said, God, thank you for choosing me before the foundation of the world? Ah, huh, right? So... Take it one step further this morning, not just to believe it. Now, in the text, who is the he doing the choosing? This is going to be a long sermon if y'all don't help me. The Bible says, even as he, and the antecedent before that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I would submit to you that it is the Father and the Son that before the foundation of the world placed their love on individuals to bring them to himself. This is the Father and the Son's work. So, we know that each person of the divine trinity has a role in our salvation. Thus, the Father and the Son. And then you're going to see the Holy Spirit sealing us. But in this text, let's say the Father is the subject. The verb is choose. Eklegomai is the word. Eklegomai, which is the literal term electos or elect. It's the word chosen. It means to select or choose for oneself. And the grammatical constru uh, construction emphasizes that God does this for his own interest. Even as he chose us in him. Right? That's the emphasis. So our God is doing this. There's no other way you can fix that grammatical structure. What it really means straightforward is that God chose you before the foundation of the world for himself. He chose you unto himself is what that means. His own interest, in fact, is what the word means. So he chose us for himself. The next word is us. Who is the us? Well, those are the saints we talked about, right? Uh, it's not evolving into sainthood like the Catholics believe. You're a saint if you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you're not a saint. And that's the us in this text. And some people would argue, well, this choosing or election is corporate. We're just talking, how do you get into the corporate body? Are we all saved at the same time? You get into the corporate body by being individually saved. Furthermore... All the benefits down through the text about forgiveness and redemption and inheritance. Although you can say that's corporate, folks, uh, that's an individual connotation. It's your inheritance that God has given you in Christ Jesus. So there are three important parts of speech that form a sentence. And all of us should have learned these in the sixth grade. I didn't do too good. I was so terrified to get up in public, speak that, in public speaking that I actually got a zero. I refused to get up and I able to squeak by sixth grade English, but here's what I've learned and what I did learn. In a sentence that is a good sentence, grammatically correct, you have a subject and a verb and what else? A direct object. The subject does the action of the verb, the verb is the action, and the direct object receives the action of the verb. Everybody on board? Here we have brought together in three fundamental parts of speech. He chose us. Can we get any clearer? Talk to me. Can we get any clearer? He chose. There's nothing tricky. Is this not very clear? We try to make it say everything, but he 
chose us. Now, I grew up in the South. Can y'all tell that? I'm not quite as southerny as some, like my mother-in-law. Y'all know her, right? But I grew up in the South, and the old explanation that one gentleman gave about election is this. He said, oh yeah, preacher, I believe 100% in election. It goes something like this. I believe in election. God cast his vote for me. Satan cast his vote for me. And now, you see, I cast a deciding vote. And in my opinion, this is the doctrine of election. Do y'all know that there are some fundamental problems with that view? Number one, the devil is a convicted felon. He doesn't have a vote. Right? Number two, here's the deal. The God of eternity did this before the foundation of the world, and you were not on the scene. So therefore, you didn't have a vote. But the one who did have the vote is God Almighty, and he's the only one that counts. Right? Yes. So, the doctrine of election, I get it, is a God-centered doctrine. It is God himself that is doing the choosing. And he does this according to the purpose of his will. Listen to the language. Listen to the scripture, which we at this church believe it's the word of God, right? Right? He predestined us for adoption to himself as the... Adoption to himself as sons through Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan from, for the fullness of time to unite all things. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here's what we have to be honest with. This is God's activity, not ours. You have to be honest with the text. This is God's activity. Flip over, if you will, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Just to hear Paul again instructing Timothy on this incredible doctrine. Beginning in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, check this out, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began. The scripture would have us recognize this is God-centered. God's election of sinners is according to God's own purpose and plan. Now here's the deal. We're born into this world and we're stuck in a crib. Right? People come by and look at us and they, they make over us. And we think from the time we're babies that everything in this world revolves around us. And here's the problem with that. Most never outgrow that understanding. They never outgrow that perspective. And we believe, about, we believe all of life and salvation is about us. Do you understand that salvation is about the glory of God first? It is about God the Father getting his own praise and glory given to him. That is the purpose of which God gifted the Son, his people, before the foundation of the world. God did this for the praise of his glory. You must understand that it's his plan and his purpose. 
And we want to think, well, God has a wonderful plan for my life. No, folks, the Bible would say God has a glorious plan. It's God's plan. And by God's grace, you may be part of it, right? If we're reading the Bible and not human perspective, then that's what you have to get when you read verses 3 through 13, that this is God's purpose, God's plan. And by grace, through faith and belief in Jesus Christ, God's plan can be my plan. By God's grace. And some of you are saying, well, that just doesn't sound right to me. Well, what if God said, okay, we're going to do this all based on fairness and the brilliance of the human race. What seems fair to me is that you let God, you let God just take his hands off and says, you just choose. Well, by the way, preacher, it's my life. Don't I have a right to do what I want to with my life? What if God just took the reins off and said, just do whatever you want to do and it's all up to you. I want to remind you that election is an absolute necessity if anyone is ever going to be saved. It is an absolute necessity. Why is that? Well, the depths of our own sin precludes us from ever choosing Christ or the gospel. Your sinful condition precludes that left to yourself, you never would have ever come to Christ had he not come to you first. That's the strength of the scripture. When in your brilliance, without Christ, would you ever have awakened to yourself to say, Whoa, yes! In my brilliant mind, I'm about to start following Jesus. Folks, on what the Bible teaches, that is categorically impossible. There's some fundamental problems with that notion. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We've been, mulled, we, we've been lulled to sleep so much in America that we don't even think about sin anymore. Folks, do you know what it's like? to The word is necros, dead. We are absolutely dead. Last time I checked, I've never seen dead people make good decisions. I'm not being funny, but it's the truth. When's the last time? When it, when it says dead in sins. John 8, 34. We're dead in sin. The Bible says in John 8, 30, 34, that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So our slavery and sin precludes us from ever desiring Christ without a work of grace in our hearts. Okay, So we're dead, but we're also enslaved. And then the Bible also teaches that we're unwilling to choose Christ. Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you believe in them you find eternal life. I tell you now, you're not willing to come to me and I'm the one that gives eternal life. John 3.19, this is what he says before it. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. We all have to fall under the knife of the revealed truth at this point. We are dead. We are enslaved to sin. We're unwilling to come. But I want to remind you that you're also unable to come. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. But the Bible will go on to say, Jeremiah says this, Can a leopard change his spots? Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Then how can you that are accustomed to doing evil do good? Unable. We have a nature problem, ladies and gentlemen. We have a bad heart problem. Let me show you a couple more verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Let the word of God speak. Not human understanding. 
Let the word of God speak. Chapter 2, verse 14. Listen. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. The natural person is the lost person. Get this. They do not understand and accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because he is spirit, they are spiritually discerned. Unable to understand the gospel because it is spiritually discerned. No way possible unless God does a work of grace in the heart. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. On the authority of the scripture, would you really want God to leave the choice to receive him totally up to you? In your situation. If you left it, if you left it up to you, you would still be dead in sin, enslaved in sin, unwilling to come to him, and unable to come to him. Now flip over to Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Please look at these verses. Chapter 8 verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Listen to this, folks. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. My point is in this is to help us understand grace and the doctrine of election. You know why we usually don't understand grace and election? Because we don't really understand the magnitude of our sinfulness. We have a wrong understanding of sin. We think that, that we have faith as a virtue in us. And all of a sudden one day we just decide whether or not we're going to trust Christ. I'm telling you folks, according to the authority of the word of God, that's not possible. Why? Because of your deadness. Because you're enslaved to sin. It's because you're unwilling to come. And it's because you are unable to come. Our God must act first. And no matter what we think about the subtleties of what's being said this morning. I trust that you really know and believe that you did not initiate your salvation. I hope and pray that you at least understand that it's the God of eternity who initiated it. We don't have to all agree on this. Okay? You don't have to agree with what the Bible is saying. And so far, the only thing I've given you is what the Bible says. Period. You don't have to accept that. And I still love you and will be your pastor. And we ought to be all willing to serve God together. Because here's the reality. You don't know. Right? And I don't know how this mystery unfolds. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But here's the authority of the word. This, this doctrine is humbling, is it not? Everything you have in your salvation came from the sovereign hand of God. It was not your works on your part, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration. What does that mean? That means that the God of eternity has to quicken your mind and heart in order for you to be able to respond. As the old African-American preacher said, God has to change your chooser, right? He has to condition your will. Not as a robot. Don't even bring that to me. You have to believe Christ and the gospel. It has nothing to do with being a robot. But folks, if you're unable to respond, unwilling to respond, dead and a bondage to sin, somebody's got to open your heart and mind. Somebody has to open your heart and mind to the gospel. And Jesus Christ alone, through the Holy Spirit and the preached word, is the only one that can do that. Let's tackle one more option. One more objection. Pastor, I hear the Bible. I hear what it says. But this violates free will. 
This violates my free will. Well, the Bible tells us that the only thing that we do freely is reject God, reject truth, disobey God, and sin. And you know it's true. You know your own life. We have great liberty to do all those things, don't we? We have great liberty to reject God, reject truth, disobey God, and sin. Well, Luther said, Martin Luther, the reformer, free will. And he responds, what an empty phrase. And then Spurgeon was asked about free will, and he said, a slave. And that's all he said and walked away. Free will, ladies and gentlemen, in light of our depravity, is an illusion, isn't it? What are you free to do without Christ? Are you free to change your nature? Because that's what you've got to do if you're going to be saved. You've got to change your nature uh, in order to be saved. If you're going to become a new creation in Christ and it's all free will, then you better start changing yourself right now on your own free will. Folks, it's impossible. You cannot change yourself. Let's take the free will test this morning. Are you ready? Take your favorite sin. You know what it is. Don't look at me so spiritual. You've got this sin that you just go through your house all the time, the house of your life, spiritual life, and it keeps creeping up. Right? You know what that sin is right now. Some of you think, whoo, that's a stronghold in my life and I can't get rid of it. All right, I'm going to tell you, on the power of free will, stop sinning in that sin. Just stop. Categorically make your decision to stop that sin. If you are absolutely neutral in free will, then you've got the will to stop that sin. All right, call me next week and let me know how you're doing. No, don't do that. Because I'm telling you, every one of you is going to fail. You do not have the power within you to stop completely sinning. If you did, then you would have neutral free will. You don't have that. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, lives in you. And if you yield your members as instruments of righteousness, guess what? He that is dead is freed from sin. But you know what I'm trying to get at. If we categorically had free will, then we could just at any moment we wanted to trust Christ. Or we could at any moment say, well, I'm just going to quit sinning this week. Right? I'm going to stop this sin. It's not possible. So, listen. In the reality, the fundamental problem is the bondage of the will. Not free will. In reality, the problem is the bondage of the will. Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will. You should pick it up and read it. Even if you disagree and you think, well, I have total free will to do whatever I want to do. Just at least educate yourself and read the book. And think about it. Read the Bible. Is there ever a time in the Word of God where it teaches free will? You will not find that in the Scripture. Now you've got believing and you've got choosing. And that's in this same sentence that we're in in the Greek, right? Folks, in order to be saved, you've got to believe the Gospel. There are so many Reformed people out there and Calvinists that think they're saved by the doctrine of just the belief of election. There are people out there who think, oh wow, election. I'm an election man. But they've never believed in Jesus. You can't be saved by just the mere mention of the doctrine of election. You have to be saved by trusting Jesus Christ as Lord. You have to be saved by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is down there in verse 14, 13 and 14. You got to believe that. But we're looking from God's perspective, okay, folks? This is God before us. This is centering our focus on the Lord. Now, the nature of election. Oh, let me give you a couple more verses. Oh, we're not doing too well in time. Deuteronomy, I'm going to put the pedal down, okay? Deuteronomy 7. Was, was the, were, were the Israelites an elected race? 
by God. Listen, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Why did God choose Israel? Out of all the people on the face of the earth. Here it is. It was not because you were more in number than any other people. That the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. In other words, you didn't have a great pedigree. Small number, fewest of the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. And he is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers. In the end, folks, why did God choose you before the foundation of the world? Because he loved you. And when people say all the time, if God elects people, then I don't want to know that kind of God. You better be really, really careful. You better be really, really careful. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And what this text says is that salvation begins with God, not you. Salvation begins with a holy God. In his mystery of his wisdom and all of his holiness and all of his love. He's infinitely wise. He knows all things. And none of his purposes, according to Job 42.1, can ever be thwarted. Isn't it awesome to belong to that kind of God? The only God that exists. So, John 6.37. And then I'm going to give you some quick applications on the nature of election. John 6. 37, here's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you did not believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Acts 13, 48. I don't hear the pages turning. You guys, I preached through Acts so long that you know it by heart, right? Yes, Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Listen to this phrase. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You can't change the construction. Which comes first, the belief or the appointment? Those who were appointed into eternal life believed. In other words, I'm trying to get you to see it from God's perspective. Grammatically, the appointment comes first. You can't twist a verse. Those who were appointed believed. But don't you see both of those are so important? Appointment and belief. Without belief, you didn't get the appointment. Right? There has to be belief in the gospel. Okay, the nature, real quickly. The nature of election. First, we need to admit that this is a great mystery. Y'all agree with that? Because your brain is on the ball, right? We started the sermon off like that. And you've been thinking about this. It's a mystery. There's something, this is something that God did before the foundation of the world. It speaks of God's eternal secret purposes. It recognizes that he works all things according to the decision of his will. It blows our minds. Can we not all admit this is a mystery? We must do this. Deuteronomy 29, 29. What a great verse. I'm glad it's in the Bible. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. We don't like that in America. We want to be able to control everything. I'm a little bit like that. When I get on an airplane, I don't like it too much because I know I'm not in control. And when I go under anesthesia, I'm definitely not in control, right? There's nothing I can do about that. We want to be in control, but it reminds us. Now, again, we can all disagree on the finer points of the mystery, 
And we can all have fellowship and serve God together. And if you get angry over the doctrine of election, you've got a heart problem. If you get angry over the fact that the Bible teaches that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, you've got a pride problem. Because we really want to be in control of things. But the fact of the matter is, again, who is this written to? Believers. It's not written to the negative side of election. And that's what people always want to hit the pastor with. Well, what about those other people out there in the world? Folks, this text doesn't deal with the negative side of election. I'm a pastor who preaches the word. And the word of God is clear here that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It doesn't deal with the negative side of whatever we perceive that is. I love what Warren Wearsby said. I learned this as a 15-year-old kid and it stuck in my mind. He said, folks, at this church family, election is a family secret. I like it. He's talking to the people of God. He's given this to the saints who are indeed saved. So we admit that it's a mystery. How does this relate to God's love for people? How does this relate to human choices? It brings up all kinds of things. It's a mystery. We should be okay with the mystery. Should we not? We affirm the mystery. And what I like to use is the word tension. There's some parts of the Bible that bring tension. And we have to bow before our God and say, we bless your name because we're not in control, but we know you are. And we, we bow before the Lord and we say, you are the God where all the secret things belong to you. Number two, we must also affirm the other clearly affirmed teachings in the word of God. In other words, though it's a mystery, we can't throw out what the Bible says. So if people walk up to you and say, I can't handle the election and the predestination thing. Well, at least be willing to say that it's in the Bible. We talk those terms like they're not found in the scripture. We use the word election. We say, what? I don't believe in election. Or I don't believe in the word predestined. Folks, it's in the Bible. So what we must do, and again, you may have varying opinions on what that means and what that says. But you can't just throw that out there and say we don't believe in it. Because thus you're saying you don't believe the Bible. And the Bible clearly brings those things in. In this text alone, we see that God is perfectly loving. Verses 4 and 5. In love, he predestined us. Do y'all see that? In love. Don't accuse God of being unloving because he chooses sinners. That'd be the worst mistake you've ever made. Charles Spurgeon once said, try to explain election, you might lose your mind. Try to explain it away, you might lose your very soul. In love. He predestined. In love. Again, God is perfectly wise. And that is an absolute mystery. So, he's eternally sovereign, verse 5. He's, he's gloriously gracious, verse 6 through 8. He's infinitely wise in verse 8. God can do whatever he pleases. Just read Psalm 115.3. And whatever he does is always consistent with who he is. God is loving. And election is an expression of God's love for his children. It is clearly... That in love he predestined us. He's sovereign. So election is an expression of his eternal control of things, but also his expression of love to his people. Again, I could hammer on this, but I don't think I need to. God is gracious in his administration. Listen to verse 10 of the text that we are in. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things under earth. Just think about this. This is what God is doing in Christ Jesus. Number three. We've got to believe the gospel. Look what it says in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and, say it, says, believed him. Believed into Christ. 
Amen. Preach it, sister. Yeah. So before the foundation of the world, but in verse 13, present time, space, continuum, believed the gospel. You got to believe the gospel in order to be saved. I get it. It's a mystery. Chosen before the foundation of the world, you must believe the gospel. You know, there's some truths that we embrace without a lot of difficulty. How is it that Jesus Christ can be both God and man? That's called the hypostatic union. How do you put 100% oil and 100% water in the same container? Hmm. 100% man, 100% God, but not multiple personalities. Only one. How do you do that? Well, you don't come in here and fight with a preacher over the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Why should we be fighting over the mystery that God can choose sinners? It's just things we can't wrap our minds around, right? we gotta, we got to understand the teaching of the Word, but we got to believe the gospel. So in the same sentence, we've got election and belief. In the same sentence, we've got election and belief. We may not understand this, but we must believe it. We talk, again, we talk about a lot of doctrines. Spurgeon once was asked how he reconciles God's sovereignty with man's responsibility. And he said, I never, I never try to reconcile two friends. And then in brackets, he said, Jacob and Esau. I never try to reconcile two friends. To me, it's not a problem. Just believe both truths and let God harmonize them. You know, I thought about this as I was walking into the auditorium because you, you get under some trepidation when you're preaching on controversial things. God, this is your problem. It's not my problem. You gave us the word of God. I, I didn't create it. You gave it to us, so it's really your problem. It is. And God has perfectly harmonized those two. God knows what he is doing. So the text, again, doesn't address the negative side of election. This is written to save people. This should not cast doubt on whether all or not all are welcome to come to Jesus. That's not said. All may come. Are y'all listening? All may come. And this is an invitation for that. Moore says, instead of questioning whether God is treating us like puppets, we need to understand that election tells us all, tells all of us who are saved that have come to Christ that you're here on purpose. Are y'all listening? All the ones who have come are actually here on purpose. Our invitation should always be come to Jesus. Some people have cast around the thought, well, our pastor, he believes in election and predestination, therefore he's not going to have an invitation. Who said that? Who said that? Have I ever said I won't have an invitation? I'm a Baptist in many, many ways, right? But I'm just a Baptist who believes the Bible. I'm not going to let a man tell me what I should believe. I'm going to let the Word of God tell me what I should believe. But yes, we're going to do an invitation. Why? Because Peter said, repent and turn and come to Jesus. Right? That's, and, and what about people who say, well, if you, if you believe in election, then you won't evangelize. Who said that? The greatest missionaries who ever lived. The first Baptist missionary was William Carey. He believed that God saved sinners. And he said, you know what, God? You've got, mission, you've got people in India that you're going to save, so I'm going to get up and go to India. I'm telling you that election is a great hope for evangelism. You know why? Because I'm not the best communicator at times when there's somebody standing in front of my face. But it's not my presentation. It is God who saves. It is Jesus Christ who saves sinners. So that ought to encourage everybody in this building. And by, by all means, hear me out clearly. I know it's getting late. Please don't ever complain about people believing election and predestination. And you've never shared Jesus with not one person. 
you have no right to ever, ever, ever complain about any truth in the Bible if you don't have a hot heart for God. If you're not willing to share Jesus with your neighbor and other people, then why are you even concerned about it at all? Right? Your theology ought to move you to want to share Jesus. And the greatest encouragement for evangelism in my life is I'm not the first touch in that person. Are y'all listening? Jesus is the first touch in that person's life if they're going to come to Christ. Jesus has to do it. So we give an invitation. And election gives hope to evangelism. Now finally, here's the last one. Election should humble us. The proper response to God choosing you is to worship God. The proper response is to worship. It should not anger anyone. It should not inflate people's pride. It should humble us. When do the, are the pots ever allowed to talk back to the potter in the Bible? Right? Romans 9, 10, and 11. When can we ever do that? If you embrace this doctrine, you won't walk in pride. If you've applied it properly, should this doctrine not move us to fall on our faces before God? He is sovereign, he is wise, he is loving, he is gracious, and he's a mysterious God who has chosen us in Christ. Hallelujah. My dad, I miss terribly. He's been gone nearly 20 years. But he's been in glory singing those same songs, all right? But here's the deal. The greatest song that he ever voiced out of his mouth was a song called, He Came to Me. And to this day, when I think about my dad, I think about that song. And just listen to it. Listen to the words. The gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. You know, my dad was, not, was very willing to say, I was so lost. So undone. And that's why grace meant so much to him. Because he was in many ways like Paul. Who knew full well that without Jesus I'd never be saved. The gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. It was so vast. The crossing I could never ford. From where I was to his demands it seemed so far. So I cried, dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. Here's the course. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. The second verse. He came to me when I was bound. I can't do it. In chains of my sin. He came to me when I possessed no hope within. He picked me up and drew me gently to his side. And today in his sweet love, I now abide. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. That's why he died. If you could come on your own, there was no reason for him to die. That's why he died. So that you could come to him. Hallelujah. Great God, we thank you for your word. And God, this is an invitation. That if anybody senses the spirit of God drawing them. Oh, God, let them not resist. If you feel the Spirit of God moving in your heart, drawing you to Jesus as the only way to heaven, submit to Him. Congregation, submit to Jesus, the only one who can save. Dear God, help us, Lord. Help us to appreciate the Word of God. Not to be afraid about it. Not to be angry about it. But to leave some things into your hands. 
But Lord, Paul would remind us that this is something we have to rejoice in. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And here they are. And the first one. Even as you've chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. God, we marvel in that. We accept it. But with it, there's no pride. There's only humility that when we could not come to where you are, you came to us. God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jennifer and Blake, where are y'all? Come up here. I know we're in rapid fire, right? We are. I'm sorry. Jennifer and Blake, look, this dude wore a suit today. You know why? Because his wife told him he was, right? I do whatever she says. Blake Hayworth, in recognition of your 15 years of faithful service and dedication as our mission rec pastor at First Baptist Church Ozark, presented on October 4th, 2020. Look what's on here. The world. That's what this man's about right now. Amen? Admission to the world. We appreciate you, Blake. And uh, how often... How often is it that you have two staff members that have been here for 15 years? So to Jennifer Metcalf, in recognition of your 15 years of faithful service and dedication as our preschool director at First Baptist Church Ozark, Missouri, presented on October 4th, 2020. To God be the glory. Amen. We love y'all. We also have, uh, according to our bylaws, we have uh, checks for them. I'm going to hold them because we're going to do this in the second service so people see that. So you're not getting your money yet. All right. Hey, okay, while they're up here, look, give me five minutes and we're done. We want to open Sunday school back up. Okay? That's the goal. You stay here. You can sit down. Yeah. No, I've got Jennifer here for a reason. Okay? So we want to start Sunday school. And, and our thoughts are right now, you know, as soon as that happens, the President of the United States <laughs> gets the coronavirus. And, and, and so many people are getting it, okay? But our people are starving in many ways without Sunday school, okay? So trust me, we're praying, we're asking God to lead us. At this point, here's what we're thinking. We're going to keep a 9 and a 1030 worship, and we're going to sync the younger people with kids to come to Sunday school at 9, and therefore you'll be in worship at 1030, Okay. And then for our older people, if you want to have Sunday school, you'll have it at 1030. Does that make sense? So we're going to keep 9 and 1030, but have Sunday school synonymously going on at 9 and at 1030. That's our thought, so we don't add another service, okay? But here's the deal. We are going to have to have at least a dozen people to help us in preschool, or we cannot do it. If nobody's keeping these babies and young kids, we cannot pull off Sunday school. Are y'all getting this? We need, if you really want to have Sunday school, we need people to call the office, volunteer for a time in ETC, okay? Which will either be Sunday school at 9 or ETC worship uh, at 1030. Don't, this is the sweetest lady I know in the world. I'm not kidding. We need to help her, all right? Our church needs to step up. If you want to have Sunday school, we've got to have ETC workers. You can't bail ship and quit on us. All right? So that's just going to be it. Help us out. And we will come to you as soon as possible and say, yes, we're rolling October whatever or November whatever, but we've got to have 12 people or we can't do it. It's just that simple. I love y'all. All right.
It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Jennifer, you can go. God bless you. Thank the Lord for uh, Blake and Jennifer. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And I uh, hope you have a wonderful day. I'll be down the hallway if God is working your heart in any way. Okay? God bless you. Hey, let's uh, stand together and, and let's sing this great song one more time. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold. Oh, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Amen. Have a blessed week.